0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 56. Imagine if we invented a device that could record my memories, my dreams, my ideas, and transmit them to your brain. That would be a game-changing technology, right? But in fact, we already possess this device, and it's called the Human Communication System and Effective Storytelling. What a great way to think about the power of storytelling. I wish I could claim that as my own, but it's not. Neuroscientist Yuri Hassan opened his TED Talk with those thoughts in 2016. And I read all about them in Gabrielle Dolan's brand new book, Stories for Work. Gabrielle is a Melbourne based thought leader on authentic leadership and the art of storytelling. In the conversation you're about to hear, we discuss the science of storytelling and listening, why stories are such a powerful tool for business. We talk about the mad alternatives we often use in the business setting in an apparent attempt to bore each other to death. And Gabrielle gives us a masterclass on becoming an effective storyteller simple, brilliant, and at times hilarious. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gabrielle Dolan. And welcome to the Team Guru podcast. Thanks, David. It's good to be here. Gabrielle, in your recent book, you make the case that telling stories in all sorts of business situations are more powerful, they're more successful and engaging, convincing, and winning over our audience than PowerPoints filled with objective data and facts. You make that case so clearly to me, and it's easy to buy into, it makes perfect sense. Why then do we continue to bore each other with PowerPoint presentations? That's a very good question and
0: it's something I'm absolutely trying to change Mm. in the business world. I think there's there's such a comfort in PowerPoint. It's almost like when people need to give a presentation, the first thing they do is open up PowerPoint and and start designing it and it's because that is what they do and that's what they've always done. I've worked with some people and go, Well, why don't you not use PowerPoint? And I've had people turn around to me and go, Well, I have to use PowerPoint because it will look like I'm not prepared if I don't. So it's this theory that powerpoint makes us look professional yeah and it's expected and everyone else is doing it and for me to not for me to go into a presentation or a meeting and not have powerpoint is so different that they're not prepared to take the risk but i i think powerpoint i often talk about like powerpoint came out in the late 80s so yeah. it has been around for a long long time and i often talk about if it was um If PowerPoint was a prescribed drug (laughs) and they found out that when you took it, it severely impacted your ability to communicate, that it would have been withdrawn from shelves years ago. (laughs) But here we are, here we are almost, you know, what is it, almost 40 or 30, 40, I don't know, 30 years later and we are still using it. And it's, um, it, it's got some fin- fundamental issues with PowerPoint that the way it presents itself, but it's just the systemic poor use of it. Just mm. I can't believe we are still so far down the track and I still see very badly designed PowerPoint slide and such a heavy reliance on it.
1: You make some really good points. I, I think one that's, that's really interesting in there is we probably do it because that's what everyone else does. That's what yeah. we saw done when we were young and impressionable. That's what we saw and we were impressed by at some point in our career. Mm -hmm. But I know that for me, when I'm designing a session, if I'm designing a full day workshop, I design a, I don't use PowerPoint, I'm very advanced. I use Keynote on my Mac, which I love. I use it as almost a crutch, something that I can lean on. So it it structures me through the day and I know that I lean on it too much and I know Mm -hmm. that in its absence, I would be a better communicator. But is there still a place for having those type of visual supports?
0: Look, there is, and look, when I say PowerPoint, it's any software really, whether it's Keynote, and you know, you can probably do some fancier stuff with Keynote and other things. But you're right, David. A lot of people use PowerPoint as a crutch for them. Mm. So if I've got the information written on the slide, it's prompting me. So then it becomes we're using a medium that helps the presenter remember as opposed to does it actually help the audience understand it? Hmm. And a lot of the time, a lot of the time it doesn't. I mean, you know, we we talk about death by PowerPoint. We've all sat through, you know, PowerPoint after PowerPoint slide, and it's just boring, and it just – it's a crutch, and – I often refer to, I mean, I I don't know how old you are, David, but I certainly remember before PowerPoint came in and we used to use overhead transparencies. I do.
1: I was a teacher (laughs) in a former life, Gabrielle, and I started my career with overhead transparencies. Yeah,
0: I started my career with overhead transparencies. And if you remember the time, if you you needed to create a new slide, which was an overhead transparency, that took a lot of work. You had to sort of, you know, type it up and you had to, make sure the overhead transparency paper was in the printer and then you have to go print and you'd have to run to the paper and it always jammed because it's thicker than normal paper. Yeah. And it took a lot of work. So a lot of the time we didn't do it. But now with PowerPoint or Keynote, you just hit duplicate or insert and you can just you there know, you go. New slide. slide after slide after slide after slide. And it's just way too much information.
1: Hey, that's that it is easy. That's a good point. But I really like that little test you inserted in there. It's important for us as presenters to ask ourselves: are these slides for me to keep me on track or are they really for the audience? And, and often the answer will be, well, they're for me to keep me on track. They're not adding any value to the audience. So maybe I should think about another strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, PowerPoint in its defense, it has notes pages. So you, you could just have a picture on your PowerPoint okay. with maybe a word or two yeah. and you have your notes in a different format. What I find too, David, is especially in the corporate world where you, you might be doing a presentation in front of you know people, but you know there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to be in the room. So you need to send the presentation to them afterwards. Yes. So what we do is we build the presentation for the people who aren't in the room and we have <laughs> so much information in it so we can send it to them. And my theory is if you're going to do that, save everyone an hour of a boring presentation Don't call and meeting. send it to them. Yeah. yeah. It's because- sort of like- another meeting that should have been an email
1: because that is a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it because if you are presenting that way you've created this slide deck that's really for the people who aren't there but you make everyone sit through it then of course yep. people aren't always going to come to your meetings because they know they're boring so therefore mm. you're going to need to send it to them anyway and the cycle repeats good cycle. stuff all right we've we've smashed PowerPoint. bill gates will be on the phone tomorrow morning Yeah, no. because i know he listens <laughs> all right now Let's talk about it. Why are stories so effective? What's the science behind it?
0: So probably to segue between that and stories, I, I have a quote that says bullet points enrage and stories engage. Uh-huh, so we like need to move from bullet points that just absolutely enrage people to stories engage. And there is science behind storytelling. I mean, as as humans, we are just absolutely hardwired to listen to stories. So when we hear someone sharing a story, we engage and connect on a different level. A well-told story, an authentic story, a one that we resonate with, we connect with emotionally. And we, as humans, we process emotions faster than logic. But, you know, if it taps into an emotion, we remember the message. Mm. So it's just the way we communicate. It's, it's, you know We're hardwired to listen to stories. We're not hardwired to listen to bullet points and <laughs> logic after logic after logic
1: our Stone Age ancestors didn't sit around mm. campfires and uh, and <laughs> give each other bullet points, yeah. did they? No. I mean,
0: you, you need to look no further than the Aboriginal, you know, Dreamtime, yeah. you know, culture where those, you know, their whole culture is based on stories that have been passed down tens of thousands of years. And, yeah, they didn't do that by PowerPoint. I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> right it's, it's one of those things that it is completely immersed. We're completely immersed in it yet it is actually really recent in human history. Very interesting. That's quite a funny concept, isn't it? Now, I had a really great question. I was going to say this. Gabrielle. I love reading the science that you've got in your book and I've read elsewhere about the idea that when I tell you a story, you are likely to get the same kind of brain pattern response as I got telling the story or indeed as I got when I experienced the story Firsthand, it's a really impressive thing that we as humans can share with each other on such a deep level that your brain will actually match my brain while I'm telling you.
0: Yeah, it's there's a lot of research that proves just that that mm. you can you have an experience and when you and you feel something through that experience, but when you share the story of it with someone else, they feel the same. Mm. They it's almost the feelings that you felt living that experience. By sharing it, someone else will will feel it. There's a quote, and I, and and forgive me, I don't know who said it, but that said, um, experience is the best teacher, and story is the second best teacher. Right. So it's almost you can teach someone the same experience by telling them a story because they will feel it
1: exactly the same. Hey, uh, bullet points give the listener the same feeling as the person who created the PowerPoint deck. They give them boredom. It's yes, boring it to can- create. Bullet points and it's boring to hear them. All right, we'll leave poor old PowerPoint alone now. Yeah, we'll leave it alone before we do get
0: sued by Microsoft.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. So tell us, Gabrielle, who are typically good storytellers? Who are people that you you rarely see in your workshops who need your help? Who I rarely see, or Mm, who I who you rarely see because they're good at it naturally?
0: Yeah. Look, I so there's a lot of people that come to my workshops who are who are good at storytelling and they just want to get better. Some people, I guess it's like any skill. I guess it's like, you know, cooking or playing golf. Some people are naturally better at it than others. But like any other skill, everyone can get better at it. What I find, though, that the people who embrace storytelling and who are better storytellers than others are the ones that are prepared to show vulnerability and are prepared to share something of themselves
1: yeah okay so so it's not necessarily about communication. it's not someone who's got the gift of the gab or is a really good or effective communicator, someone who's got a really broad vocabulary, nothing like that it's It more no. comes down to the willingness to be vulnerable
0: yeah and look and and it's not about you know you know big presentation styles it, it's it's working with your own style, so if you're a sort of big out there presenter and you love presenting it doesn't necessarily mean you're good at storytelling right. It's the ones that are prepared to share something of themselves, to be vulnerable, and then having the skill to make sure that's attached to the business message they want to get across.
1: All right. So when you've convinced people that storytelling is important, there's a science behind it, people love stories, and you convince them that they should start thinking about telling more stories in their professional life. I Mm -hmm. imagine one of the biggest hurdles that they have is that they don't think they have any stories, that they're sitting there thinking, well, what... What on earth am I going to talk about? I've, I mean, I've heard great storytellers. They've got good stories to tell. I've got nothing. But I've read your process of squeezing every last drop out of your experiences. It's a very simple process, but pretty effective, I reckon.
0: Yeah. And and David, you're right. A lot. Of, one of the most common things I hear people say is, I don't have any stories. Mm. I'm just normal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably one of the reasons I, I wrote this latest book, Stories for Work, is because what I know is the more stories I share and the more stories you hear, it sparks your own stories. And you go, Oh, well, maybe I have got stories. Yeah. So my real message is when you're using stories for work and, and, and in a business situation, your day to day normal stories are the most powerful. So, you know, a lot of people think You know, I haven't done anything spectacular. Mm. I haven't had anything really bad happen to me. But those, I mean, why you can still use those stories. I I talk about, you know, climbing Mount Everest. You know, if you've done that, that's great. And it's a great story. But, you know, it doesn't matter how... Often people describe the summit of Mount Everest to me. I really can't relate to it. I really cannot relate to it. Yeah. But if you're sharing a story about, you know, when you got in trouble off your partner because you forgot your wedding anniversary, or Mm. you know, you you know, you had a fight with your kids, that's something I can relate to. Yeah. So it's the day to day stories that are most powerful. And when when once people realise that, they realise that they've actually got a lot of stories they can share.
1: You took me on a bit of a trip down memory lane actually when I was reading your book. You suggested that I think about every single little job I've ever had and and you yep. you begged me to not write off that job that I might have had one summer for 3 weeks, to think yep. about all of them. And then you, then you asked a whole bunch of questions, just really simple stuff that got me thinking about some of these experiences that I'd had in these jobs that I would never have thought of again. Now, just recalling those, if ever an occasion comes up where the moral of that story or the theme of that story is relevant, I've been through that process and I'll be able to pluck that out maybe for the next few weeks, which of course means I need to practice telling them. But I guess the other message that you've got is once you've been through that process and you become a storyteller, even a, a storyteller with their L plates or training wheels on, learning how to do it better, because you're in that mindset, you're noticing more stories around you, more things that are happening in your life that are story worthy.
0: Yeah, and, and that's exactly what happens. I, I call it like your storytelling radar goes up and yeah. you just – you go through life and things will happen and you go, oh, I could use that. I could use that. And I I mean, I, I guess storytelling my profession, so I absolutely do that. And, and sometimes when it happens in the moment, I stop and take a photo of something <laughs> and, and my kids are often going, oh, Mum, you're going to use that story, aren't you? Are you going to write a blog <laughs> about that? And I was like, absolutely, I'm going to write a blog about it. And, and so, just as a sidetrack, the reason I take a photo is because if I do write a blog about it, I've got a photo. Yeah. But if I, I am doing a presentation with PowerPoint, I've got a photo yeah. I can use instead of a slide. Yeah, not dot points. So you do, you just note things will happen to you, and it can be, oh, that's a great story around, you know, process improvement, for example. And I don't know where I'm going to use it or when I'm going to use it. But I'm going to use it, and that happens all the time. I remember when um, the last year, when the British Prime Minister, you know, we woke to the news that the the new British Prime Minister had been replaced, so mm-hmm. Theresa May came in, and it was all over the radio that you know she she'd been elected, and it was all about Brexit. And I was driving the kids to school, and they were just talking about Brexit means Brexit and Brexit, and everything was around Brexit. And my my youngest daughter Jessie, who was 12 at the time, this little confused voice came from the back seat and said, mum, why is everyone so obsessed about breakfast this morning? And it was just like, <laughs> And I just started laughing and her elder sister started laughing. And so straight away I just go, there is just a story, a gold story about how miscommunication can happen so easily. And, yeah. you know, I, I start thinking about if it can happen between the front seat and the back seat of a car, how easily it can happen across organizations. So I just just store that away and think, you know, I'm going to use that and and I have used it ever since
1: too. So how do you know when you're giving a presentation or even just talking to a a small group of people in a meeting, whatever the setting, how do you know when it's time to tell a story?
0: Yeah, look, you do have to be prepared for that. So what I would say, if you were going into – a presentation or a meeting and, and look stories isn't aren't just for presentations. You could be going to into a sales meeting. Yep. You could be going into a meeting your team. You could be going into a one on one coaching situation. Or a job interview. And, or a job interview. Exactly. And you've got to know what messages you want to get across. So yeah. whether it's, you know, with your team or, you know, it could be I want to get across the importance. It could be a personal value like respect or passion or integrity or whatever or it could just be a a message around innovation for whatever. So you, you go in and you say what does this mean to me? So what does passion for customers mean to me? What does integrity mean to me? What does respect mean to me? What does innovation mean to me? And then you go what does this feel like outside of work? And then once you go what does this feel like outside of work, you find that personal story. So and you prepare for it, you write it out, you practice it, you've got the story down pat. And so either you go into a meeting or a presentation knowing I'm gonna, where I'm going to use this story, or it could be I actually don't know when I'm going to use it or if that's going to come up in this meeting, but yep. if it does, I'm ready to go. So, it, something could come up, you've got a story ready, and then you go, actually, that reminds me of, and you go into your story.
1: Have you balls this up at different times? Have you have you overdone it or told the wrong story at the wrong time? Been too keen on the story and, and not aware enough of the context?
0: Yeah, look look, sometimes I I'll be in a situation and it sparks a story and I think, oh yeah. And I I start telling the story and then you're going, I sort of forget the end of it. <laughs> <It's> like,
1: <laughs> Why am I telling this story?
0: Yeah. And it was like sometimes when you start telling a joke and you go, Oh my god, I've forgotten the yeah, punchline. Yeah. Or you get halfway through the story and then you realise actually this probably isn't appropriate or just not relevant anymore. <laughs> so my my advice What's your bailout? Is, sometimes my bailout is actually I've just decided this story is not that relevant so I'm <laughs> going to stop now. <it." laughs> um, I try to avoid doing that and because my advice is until you get really good at this don't try to wing it. So but you know you, look you can wing it and sometimes it might work or it might sort of work. But you've probably got to be a little bit more skilled before you wing it, and I would always say to try to prepare for them.
1: Well, that's a good segue because we've convinced ourselves, or you've convinced me, that telling stories is a worthwhile thing. There's science behind it. It it works in the professional setting for any range of reasons. How do we go about becoming a better storyteller? What are the steps that we take?
0: Yeah, look, the steps are are sort of what I just – talked about before, you've got to be really clear on the message you're getting across. Mm. And sometimes when stories don't work is when you're trying to cram too many messages into your story. So when people go, yeah, I know, I know what the message of my story is. I want them to understand A, B, C, and D. And I go, well, that's four messages. Mm. So it needs four stories. So the moment you try to put too many messages into your story, it will lose its effectiveness. So that's, that's the main thing. You have a, one single, single clear message for your story. Then it is like really going, well, what does this feel like outside of work to try to get a personal story? And work stories can still work. But what I find is when you're using work stories, they tend to be almost case studies or business yeah. examples. Mm-hmm. And, and they can still work. And there's there's absolute, they legitimize a lot of things you're trying to do. But if you're really trying to get your message like understood and remembered, I would try to go a personal story because yeah. it's so refreshing in business. So, as how to you find say, personal-
1: is in your book, is that uh, case studies appeal to logic and yeah. and stories appeal to emotion?
0: Yeah. So case studies are all logical, mm. which is relevant. You know, I, you know, I, I run a business on storytelling, and I absolutely use case studies, but they're not stories because they don't have emotion. So it's how you can find those personal stories that tap into emotion, and then you got to take it through a process of of how you start your story what you put in the middle, what you leave out. So having a real discipline to leave things out of your story that not are related to the topic and how you end it on purpose that you get your message across, but you're not directive about it.
1: I really like some of the advice you gave in your book about the beginning of the story. (laughs) In fact, when I was reading it, I I, I was sitting on a park bench, you know, cliche, and I laughed out loud at the story you told in the book about someone who would fuddle over. Was it 13 years ago? Or was it 12 years yeah. ago? Where was I? Oh, no, that's right. It must have been 13 years ago because I was 41 then and I'm 53 mm. now, You know that kind of stuff. And I, I hear that all the time. People who are bad at telling stories where, the, where your advice was you begin really succinctly. You make people want to hear the rest of this story because it's succinct. You give a time marker, you tell them what it's about, and then you just get stuck into the message.
0: Yeah. So at the start of your story, it, it really should be one sentence. And and what I say is, you start with time and place. Mm. So, you know, it's something like, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I, I grew up with eight brothers, you know, seven brothers and sisters, or, you know, three weeks ago we went on a holiday to Vietnam, or this morning at gym. So it's mm. time and place. Yep. And what that does, it signals to your audience that you're about to tell them a story. Yeah. And we're, just as we're hardwired to tell stories, we're actually hardwired to listen to stories. Yeah. So, we're listening really differently. And you can imagine in a business setting where it's all a bit, you know, blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. And then you go, actually, that reminds me of when I was 20 and went on an African safari. Hmm. Like, all of a sudden- Oh, wow. That's interesting. Like, well, hello. Yeah. I'm listening to you. and. So it's really important to start your stories with time and place, mm-hmm. and it's one sentence. And yeah, you don't want to lose people at the start. <laughs> and the the way you lose people, and you see it all the time. It was like, yeah, it was March. I oh, no, it wasn't March. It was April. <laughs> it was like, oh, like, who cares? Tell who a cares? Story. And it was just, like, you know, and wh- and what was their name again? And yeah, I was like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Just get into it. So you don't you don't want to lose people. Yeah. Before you've started the story and also you don't – you you really want to try to avoid starting your story with let me tell you a story mm, because you can always feel rolling. that that's condescending. Yeah, it's almost like a little bit condescending and it was like even though we're hardwired to listen to stories, if you start your story with let me tell you a story, the mm. reaction is don't tell me the story, just tell me the point. Yeah.
1: That's a, that's really good advice. I I've heard that before. It surprised me the first time I heard it, but it makes perfect sense now. I don't think that's something that would come naturally. I think a lot of people might fall into that trap.
0: Yeah, they do. They fall into and a lot of people fall into the trap by saying, "Let me tell you a true story." Oh. So everything like, else I say is a lie. Yeah, like so everything else I say is a lie, this and then the moment you've mentioned that it's true, it's like when someone says, "You know, you, you can trust me. I'm trustworthy." It's like <laughs> well, now I don't. Yeah. So just, you know, my, my advice is just avoid the whole word story and mm. this is a true story. Just start your story with time and place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's great advice. The beginning of the story. Well, what are the tricks for the middle then? Because it's a really complicated formula, isn't it? It's beginning, middle, and end. That's your formula. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, <laughs> it's Aristotle's sick. formula that you stole and, and referenced him, I might add. So yeah. you've, you've told us about the beginning. What's, what's the trick in the middle? What, what do we need to remember about the middle of the story?
0: Yeah, look, in the middle, there's a few things. One of them is if you're talking about someone else, name them. So if you're talking about your kids, name them. If you're talking about your partner, name them. And I see this time and time and again in my workshops. I say, so if you're talking about your wife or your husband, name them. And I don't know if it's a male thing. So many males just refer to their wife as my wife. Yeah, and I like, do that. know it's like, and we, you know, which is – you know, it's it's endearing, mm. and it's it's a much better than the wife. Yeah, yeah. But it's like you're always going, "What's her name? What's her name?" I, I like, I want to know her name. So always name your character. If you you know, if you're talking about your best mate from Get school, name it's them. You know, if talking, yeah. If you're talking about your favorite, you know, your favorite school teacher, you name them. Mm. So name your characters. It's just those little one percenters. If if you're talking about your mum and dad or your, you know, the stories about your nana or grandpa. You don't name them. You just call them what you nana. call them, whether it's yeah, nana or pa or grandma <laughs> or
1: whatever it is. When I read that in your book, I thought, well that's me. I do that because and and I've got to give the other side of it. I I kind of have it's, it's like a thing, well, I don't want to be overly familiar with these people. So I'm not going to say my wife's name. I'm going to say mm-hmm. my wife. But you're right. The purpose of telling a story is to tap into emotions. So you can't be overly – there's no problem with being too familiar. It sounds a bit weird if you're not.
0: I know. And, and, you know, telling someone your wife's name is not – (laughs) <laughs> it's not, it's
1: not it's been not, over familiar. It's not lifting the veil, is it?
0: No, no, no. It's like, but, you know, and again, I I, th- I, don't know. I think it is a male thing. It was right. like, oh, I can't mention my wife's name. It was like, oh, no, that would be totally unprofessional
1: <laughs> to mention my wife's name. As I read through that advice, I had all these flashbacks to workshops I'd been in where the person delivering was really personal like that. You walked away knowing about their family, who they mm. are, what they did, what their names were. And- you're right. I had a connection with that facilitator or that presenter. I felt like I liked them, and it was yeah. largely just around that one little tip. Great tip. What else do we need to know about the oh. middle?
0: The middle is you constantly have to determine what detail you put in mm. and what you leave out. This is another one.
1: But guess <laughs> what? You see people bumble over this all the time, don't they? Just I'm lose their audience. Going on,
0: and they go in, and they go, and then they they're talking for about like you know, and then they go. Oh, anyway, back to the story. <laughs> so, why did we not just stay with the story? So it's one of the, it, it is probably perhaps one of, um, I mean, there's a few differences between storytelling, you know, with your friends down the pub and storytelling mm. in business. But one of the clear things is you've got to be really disciplined in storytelling in business. And yeah. you've, and even though there's some detail in there that might be hilarious and might be really interesting, if it's not related to your message, point. Yeah. you've, got to have the discipline to leave it out um and that's because if you don't your stories become too long and, and my rule of thumb is your story should be about one to two minutes in business and it doesn't matter how interesting you think your story is yeah in a business context if it's going longer than you know two three minutes yeah. people will be thinking if not saying get to the point wow
1: right yeah and that, what, that's a terrible place to be isn't it
0: oh it's um yeah, you, you and we you know we all know them where people just go on and on forever with their stories and yep. you just switch off. You just mm. seriously switch off.
1: <laughs> this is funny. I'm enjoying this. All right, so we're talking about the beginning, the middle and the end. Have you got anything else for us in the middle? You've told us about name our characters and we've got to get the balance of the detail right. We've got to keep it to w- between 1 and 2 minutes. Is there anything else there in the middle or are you about to, yeah, to move on no, to end? Look-
0: no, no, no. It's probably you know the middle. The middle is like you know story. eighty percent mm. of your story. That's where it's all happening. The whole reason you're sharing a story is to tap into emotion. Mm. So you've got to use real words. You've got to you've just got to use words that are real and genuine. Too often in business, we use words that are very safe. Right. So Give you know, me an example. I, I, well, I, I, a leader will – you know, i have someone who will share a story and they'll say things like, I was anxious. And yeah. then they finish their story and I go, J- just let me ask you a few questions. I go, you said you were anxious. And I go, really? Because it sounds like you'd be a lot more than anxious to me. And then they'll say things like, oh, I was so scared. In fact, I remember I was so scared I went to the toilet because I thought I was going to vomit. Yeah. I was so scared. That's a and better was like, story. Yeah. So, put that in the story. So, <laughs> it's all about using words that are real mm. and that, you know, because I relate to that. And, and also, you know, I was so scared. I thought I was going to vomit. I ran to the toilet. I can visualize that. So, the yeah. words, it makes it more real. I can tap into emotion and I can visualize it yeah. as opposed to saying I was anxious, yeah. which means, I mean, what. Well, that gives me nothing. Yeah. That means I'm I'm playing really safe with the
1: story. So avoid safe language, but I'm guessing you can go too far the other way. That we don't want to hear about the chunky carrots that were in yeah, the vomit. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> what, what's your thought though, Gabrielle, about swearing? Oh, you're probably
0: asking the wrong person because I do like to swear. You do, right? Um, You've got to be mindful of your audience, mm. granted. Yep. So you do have to be mindful of your audience. Mm. What I've found, though, you know, especially in Australia, I mean, we like to swear. Right. So as long as it's not offensive. And, but what I find, too, is sometimes sometimes you're, you're talking about someone in your story and you're saying you want to use the exact words they said.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you want to quote someone.
0: If you're going to quote someone, and if they're swearing, mm. then you can swear. But look, I would – it's one of those things you've got to play it by ear, so mm. I would start off a little bit safe. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like, you know, if you're saying bloody or, you know, shit or something, I'm sure that's not going to offend people, but you, yeah, you probably don't want to be dropping <laughs>
1: – <laughs> Dropping the F or the C bomb. The <laughs> C bomb on um, – In a board meeting. Board meetings. It's,
0: like so, you know, it's it's been real, but mm. it's been commercially smart
1: as well. All right, good clear. That's a good clear one. All yeah. right, what else? What else about that middle? Or are we on to the end now?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, I think I think that's probably enough you, for the middle. Enough? That that'll get okay. most people sharing You're stories. Moving Yeah.
1: So tell us about ending a story. Um, I mean, I know you've said that the middle is is where the punch is. That's where you get to the point. That's where you link it to whatever is going on, the context, to, to give the reason for telling your story. Is there any way that you you are supposed to end it or, you know, you just cut it dead or people laugh and we all move on? What's what's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, look, the ending is by far the hardest part mm. to get right. Yep. And it's the most critical part. So oh, okay. I often okay. say, you know, the ending is landing the plane. It doesn't matter oh. how smooth your trip was. you got to land the plane. Okay. And there's a couple of parts. In fact, there's three parts to an ending because – the ending's quite difficult. So there's the bridge, the link, and the pause. So the bridge really is, you know, it's it's sort of almost like a simple sentence of, I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of where we are here. What the bridge does is people are with you. They're listening to your personal story. And then the bridge goes, oh, it's just not a random story about this. It's about respect or it's about integrity or it's around teamwork. So, you know, the reason I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of, you know, where we're heading now, what we're experiencing at the moment with change. And then the next part of the ending is the link. So the link is your one or two final sentence of your story that links it back to your message. Now, the real hard bit here is you want to link it back in a way that they get it, but you don't want to be directive. You don't want to tell them. You don't want to end your story with so the moral of the story. <laughs> it's sort of like what, it's not a, it's
1: not a fairy tale. <laughs> it's not yeah. It's
0: it's sort of like oh, if you're just going to tell me yeah. what you don't want me to story. think, just yeah. don't tell the story. Just tell me what you want me to think, and yeah. I you know it I'll won't, make won't my work. own decision. It yeah, won't work, but. And then the the final bit of the ending is the pause. For a pause, you, you you've just got to stop talking for like, and it's just <laughs> one or two seconds. Yeah. But in that one or two seconds, it's almost like where the magic of storytelling happens, and right. okay. it's where people are making the connection to your story, yep. and especially, you know, if you've done the link, and you know the link should be quite inviting. Like you know, imagine what we could achieve if we did this. Mm. So. Give some time to think about that.
1: Yeah. Great. That is great advice. All right, just to run over that quickly, you gave us three points on how we can become a better storyteller. We need a single clear message in our story. Yep. We need to ask ourselves, what does this look like outside of work? Because yep. telling those personal stories is a great way to engage emotion. And then we need to structure our story in the beginning, middle, and the end. And you gave us a whole bunch of tips at each of those three phases. That's pretty good advice, Gabrielle. What else have you got for us?
0: I don't know. We, we, do you want to hear an example of one?
1: Oh, I'm dying and, to hear a story from, from a professional.
0: <laughs> oh, I was just going to say it would sort of bring that whole concept of how you start your story, what's in the middle and how you end it. Yeah. Um, it might help people sort of bring it to life, what it means. I'm just trying to think of which story I share. But you're so, you're so, in uh, trouble let,
1: now because you've just told us I'm, I'm about to tell you a story, which is when no. we're not supposed to do that.
0: No, I, I think I said, oh, do you want to share an example? Yeah, but, you know, I okay. Might have, I might have said story, but yeah. that's a cop out. Yeah,
1: yeah. And,
0: um, and that's why I I do actually say try to avoid saying starting your stories with let me tell you a story because it's really hard to, you know, I find myself sometimes, oh, my God, that reminds me of a great story. You know? <laughs> like, oh
1: God,
0: I've just done it wrong. So let me set it up. I worked with the head of risk. I worked with a client, the head of risk, and they, you know, explained to me, Rosemary was a name, and she said, the biggest issue I have is when I'm working with the business units I support, every time risk is raised, they just look at me and go, well, you're the risk manager, that's your problem. And she said, it doesn't matter how many times I tell them that I can't manage their risk for them. All I can do is help them manage their risk. She said, the message just doesn't get through. And you know she provided case study after case study and it, nothing was changing their behavior. So, this is the story she started to share. So, i maybe invite you as I share this story, think about the beginning, middle and how I'm ending it. So anyway, this is the story Rosemary started to share. She said, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm and growing up on a farm, there was all these dangers we needed to be aware of, but mum would teach us what to do. So we knew what to do when we came across a redback spider in the timber heap and we knew about all the potential traps in the dam after heavy rain and we knew what to do when we came across a snake in summer. And I remember this one stinking hot day, mum was yelling at me to get my bike from the front gate. So I ran down the path and then I just froze because in front of my bike was this massive copperhead snake. But I remembered everything mum taught us to do. So I played statues and I slowly walked backwards until there was enough space between me and the snake. And I ran back to that house to tell mum. And I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of the role we play in risk, all I can do is give you the skills, knowledge, and advice, so when you come across your own copperhead snake, regardless of what that looks like, you will know what to do. Oh,
1: that was absolutely <laughs> fantastic, Gabrielle. Now, I put you under pressure as the professional storyteller. That I've was delivered. perfect. You have yeah. delivered. I was sitting here, as you told that story, glancing over the notes I've been taking You absolutely nailed that. It was between one and two minutes long. You started off with time and place. When I was a kid, I lived Mm. on a farm. You got the balance of detail right in the middle of your story. You told us that there were a lot of dangers on the farm, but you didn't just leave it at that. You told us about a few of those dangers, but not too many. You told me enough to keep me interested, but not too many to get me bored. And they were cool ones like snakes and spiders and dams and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then the real clincher came when you remembered what to do and your bridge and your link and your pause, it was, that was poetry. I love that story.
0: Mm, yeah. and it's, So when I share that story and the reason Rosemary shared the story is because she wanted to make sure her team understood the role she played. And, you know, when I provide that example, people go, yeah, I absolutely now understand the role of a risk manager better and the role I need to take in the process And I ask them, would they remember that story? And everyone says, yes, absolutely. And then would you be able to retell it without losing its meaning? And everyone goes, yes. And there's some of the fundamental challenges that, you know, when you're in a leadership role or communicating role or influencing role or sales role, do people understand what you're saying? Can they remember it? And can they retell it to others without losing its meaning? And it's just amazing how a personal story will give you traction on those three challenges where... You know, I had to go back to PowerPoint, but bullet points will not.
1: It's great stuff. I love that story. I love the tips that you gave us. They're really tangible. And then you followed it up with that booming story that was just perfect. I loved it. I loved it, Gabrielle. You you were great at that, which is probably no wonder that is that is your job. So you should be. Now, before we move away from the storytelling thing, tell me, it's really tempting for me right now and the listeners right now to think, okay, great, convinced I've got some tips. I'm going to get into this. What is going to keep the momentum going? How do I make sure that this isn't a one-time deal where I thought you were great on this podcast, it actually becomes part of what I do?
0: Look, you do. It's almost like every time you, whether you're going a presentation or a meeting or a coaching session, it's going through the process to say, what's my key message? Because mm. you, you don't need a story for everything. Yeah. What's my key message and how can I use a story to get that across? And look, it's like any other skill, you need to start developing it. So, you know, this is sort of an intro, I guess, but there's, you know, I've I've got the book, I've got online programs, I I do workshops. you really got to start developing your skill and put, like anything, put time and effort and energy into working at it.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. All right, Gabrielle, you're almost off the hook, but I always finish by asking my guests the same four questions. Are you ready to go?
0: Oh, okay. I didn't get a pre-warning for this, but I'm ready to go. No
1: pre-warning. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm very excited. I have to cough.
0: I feel like I'm on a radio show. That you know, if I get them all right, do I win like a thousand dollars or something?
1: Not even close. No, you get not even close. Okay. And there's okay. no. You'll be relieved to no, know there is no right or wrong though. Okay. All Good. right. Tell me about. Oh, there is actually, and I'll t- there, there is a wrong, and I didn't realize there was a wrong until some of my guests got it wrong. So we'll see okay. how good your listening ears are. Right. Tell me about the Saturday night you would most look forward to, a big party with lots of people you know, or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? Intimate dinner. Yeah, quick. I like that.
0: At home that I have spent the whole day cooking and preparing for.
1: Really? Oh, that's good yeah. extra detail. Now, from that one question, do you realize what my guests sometimes get wrong? No. They, well, they, they've got to choose between one of those two options because oh, right. I say the most. They haven't got their listening ears on. I'm onto them these days. All right. Question number two. Are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? Daydreaming. Really? All right. Good. Always planning.
0: Always planning the next big thing.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, are you a slave to rational thought or do you make decisions based on emotion? I make decisions based on emotion. Do you? Wow, this is great. This is very clear. Have you got a story for that? Well, there's no, there's no
0: story. There's actually science. We all make we all make decisions based on emotion, and we justify it on
1: logic. That's right. I've heard that so many times on this podcast. That's the only one of my my four questions. Number three, there that I I allow people to sort of squibble on. All right, here's the last question. You're going on a road trip. Do you like to book the hotels, plan the route, know exactly where you're going, or do you just get in the car and drive?
0: Uh, I like to book the hotels and plan the route and know exactly where we're going, but that probably does mean because I've got two children in tow, so can't leave things to chance.
1: <laughs> Gabrielle Dolan, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you on the Team Guru podcast. Thanks, David. It was a whole lot of fun. And that was Gabrielle Dolan. I really enjoyed that chat. The ridiculousness of the PowerPoint culture that so many of us are part of. Striving to convince each other through the use of facts and logic, but only succeeding in dumbing our audience into a stupor of mediocrity. I love the tips you gave about shaping our story, a beginning, a middle and an end. It's simple and easy to remember, but there are so many definite traps there We should all try and avoid. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Gabrielle on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the principles and theory of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.